Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Warning. This podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. Hey, Spooksters, and welcome back to another Stabby Snippet here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara, and as always, I'm joined with my ghoul friend, Jessica. Hello! And today I have a interesting case for you, but before we dive in, we have a little bit of an announcement. Normally this doesn't happen on Stabbies, but we're doing it, because if you head over to our Instagram, there will be a giveaway going up for you guys, and we're super fucking excited about it. Mm-hmm. We have partnered with our favorites over at Death Wish Coffee. We are going to be giving away two fucking badass care packages to two of our followers and it's super super easy all you have to do is just make sure you're following us and then follow the other instructions that will be in the caption on that photo there's going to be a pound of coffee each a bunch of stickers one package will have a mug another will have a tumbler and both packages will have a three spooked girls camper mug and some other little swag from us too so all kinds of cool stuff definitely go check it out this mm-hmm. is going to run from today through next Thursday and then we will be announcing the winners on Instagram on Friday the 13th yes our favorite day of the month <laughs> we thought that was fitting so we were like yes it's amazing to me like before we started this podcast i feel like friday the 13th were these things that were like really rare and never happened but since we've started it i'm like holy shit it's like friday the 13th like every freaking month i know they happen a lot more frequently than i thought but yeah so go enter there if you want some coffee i know in our time which is earlier in the week some people had asked us about Death Wish coffee, so this is a good chance to try some out for free on us and on Death Wish. I do love me a cup of Death Wish coffee. Mm-hmm. I've talked about it before, and I'm typically like like an iced coffee girl. I get like the Starbucks the bottle from the store, the Starbucks. Mm-hmm. But if I want a nice hot cup of coffee, I go for the Death Wish. Yeah. And they actually have cold brew now. Ooh. So that's cool. I want to try it. Yeah, it's in like cans. I like cold brew. Right? I know. I want to try that out. But yeah, check it out. Check it out. But enough about that. We are going to go ahead and get started. So uh, as you can see by the title of this episode, I am going to be talking about the Jamie Kloss case today. In current time, 
because we're in the first week of March, there's been a lot of sadness in the news, especially in true crime. First, we had the arrest of Lori, and she still kept tight-lipped, not sad she's arrested, but sad she's not giving any answers. So there was that. Then another really sad thing was in our time yesterday, the news with Gannon Stauk and Tisha's arrest, which is his stepmom. She was arrested for first-degree murder, and as of right now when we're recording, we don't have a location on him still. So I will give full updates on those cases because I know people have been asking once I can collect more facts. There's not a lot out really on either one. And with the Gannon case, they are keeping things sealed for now. I posted the press conference in the Facebook group. So if you haven't watched that, you can go watch that and all that. But yeah, so I wanted to, I'm going to wait a little bit on those two cases till we actually know all the details. But like I said, I, I wanted to pick something that while this is a sad case, it does have an outcome that, you know, we always hope for with missing persons and stuff like that. So this one I was following when it happened, but when we posted a Instagram story a while ago asking, you know, for suggestions or like what cases you would like us to cover, this was one that about a few of you had sent. So I was like, it was on my list. So yeah, check out Instagram stories too, because we always ask all kinds of fun questions for you guys. So if you aren't familiar with this case, in 2018, 13-year-old Jamie went missing after the murder of her parents. And then almost three months later, she escapes and finds safety. We don't see cases like this happen often. Usually it is sadly the worst case scenario. But like I said, I kind of wanted one that had some kind of good to it, you know. So uh, here we are. Jamie is the daughter of Denise and James Kloss from Barron, Wisconsin. The couple met through their employer, which is a turkey plant, essentially. The couple would get married in 2003, and then just two years later, Jamie would be born on July 13, 2005. The Kloss family had been described as a happy and caring family. James was super into sports, and Jamie liked them as well, and they would watch them together. Denise was super into gardening and was said to have a green thumb. And she was also described as a very loving and caring person as well. And if anyone ever needed anything, she would just drop everything, take the day off work, all of that, and make sure she was there for them. And then Jamie herself is described as a sweet but shy girl. She enjoys dancing, ice skating, and playing volleyball. For the family, things would take a turn on October 15th of 2018. That night, 911 dispatch would receive a call that they would later figure out came from Denise's cell phone. Dispatch would log that they hadn't heard who the person called was, like they weren't talking or anything, but they could hear a disturbance in the background and they heard yelling. Eventually, the call would drop and dispatch called right back, you know, as they do. And instead of someone picking up, the call went straight to voicemail. Well, that dispatcher decided to send the police over to the Kloss residence and they literally got there within four minutes. Once the police arrived, though, they saw that the front door had appeared to be kicked in and also they would find the bodies of James and Denise, but they wouldn't find Jamie. So at this point, the police pretty much suspected that Jamie had been abducted and then they issued an Amber Alert that same day by 3.30 p.m. Something weird that police did come across when they were doing this first investigation on the crime scene was that there was basically no evidence found. There was nothing. There was no, like, fingerprints. There was no footprints, really. There was nothing. So it appeared that whoever did this had been meticulous in planning the killings and the kidnapping so that they wouldn't get caught. 
Now, the FBI does become involved in the investigation and the search for Jamie. Tips also start flooding in, like, by the hundreds. Authorities talk with the Kloss's neighbors to see if anyone had noticed anything. They lived in an area where it wasn't suburby. It was like they were spread out, but they still had a neighborhood. So, like, lived in the country, basically. They did end up saying that they heard gunshots roughly around 12.30 a.m., but originally they kind of didn't really think anything of it because the area they lived in was a really big hunting grounds. So I guess they just thought somebody was out hunting late. Or early, whichever way you want to look at that. Or early, yeah, whichever way you want to look at it. And some people kind of question that, like, why would anyone be out at 1230, da-da-da-da-da? But I know, like, my father-in-law hunts, and sometimes they go out at, like, fucking weird-ass times, so... Right. You know. And they didn't hear any other disturbances or anything like that, so of course it didn't raise any alarm or anything, so they're just like, okay, whatever. Like, they were obviously used to hearing shotguns and stuff like that. Right. And, like, I grew up in the country, and, um, you know, some people are inconsiderate, (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. and may think that, oh, it's late, and I've had a couple of drinks, I'll go shoot my gun off outside or something, you know. Yeah, exactly. So then a week after her disappearance on October 22nd, they had collected about 2,000 volunteers to help search for Jamie. And to put it in perspective for you, the town they lived in is called Barron. It's in Wisconsin. That was two-thirds of the population. This town barely had like 3,300 people total. Oh, damn. Yeah. That town, like, came together. Also, the same day, they held a prayer vigil for Jamie as well. They called it a gathering of hope at Barron High School in the football stadium. And then the police also released two photos of vehicles of interest that they had captured on some surveillance footage near the Kloss home during the the murders. Later, these would be cleared, though, and not lead to anything. So on the 24th, the FBI put out a $25,000 reward for Jamie's return. And then just a couple days after that, it would be doubled to $50,000. And this was donated by the Kloss's employer. Then on the 27th, the funerals for James and Denise were held that night. So technically, kind of technically the 28th, because it was about... 2 a.m. So technically the next day, the authorities make an arrest. And this guy's name is Kyle Jank. He's 32 and he was breaking into the Kloss's house and he stole some of Jamie's items, which later would be told to be two tank tops, a dress and some underwear. And he asked why, like, why would you take these things? Like, what are you doing? You know, of course, obviously, like, what the fuck? And He had said that he was curious at what size she was and that he thought that the family wouldn't miss the items he was taking. He would, of course, get charges for, you know, breaking and entering and things like that. But he ended up being cleared. He wasn't the person that took Jamie. He had nothing to do with it. He's just a fucking pervert creep. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Glad that there's two kinds of people out there, right? Right. And at this time, they also installed, I believe, like motion detector type of cameras just in case the killer murder, you know, kidnapper went back or if maybe Jamie ended up going back, you know, that kind of thing, because they didn't obviously want to run into this kind of thing again. And probably also to keep an eye on this guy, too, because I'm not quite sure how long he stayed in jail for. Also, during this kind of early times of her disappearance, there was a tip that Jamie had been seen with two men in Florida. But first of all, this ended up not leading anywhere. And they were like, no, that's not her. 
this happened like really shortly after I want to say like the next day or so and it's about a 25 to 26 plus hour drive from where they are in Wisconsin to Miami which is where this was so yeah it, it just it wasn't her it was just kind of a dud but after this the the search continues and there just doesn't appear to be any leads the whole town like I said is invested in finding her like almost literally this whole small town is out looking for her Something that I thought was sweet, though, was that there was a tree displayed in the County Justice Center building, and they pretty much dedicated it to her. They made it all, like, glittery and pretty and had ornaments with, like, letters that were her name spelled out down the tree. And then they were um, in, like, green and I think blue. And basically the green is to help with, like, awareness of missing children and things like that. And in one interview I watched, they said, you know, we're going to leave this up until Jamie comes home kind of thing. So everyone was just like, we need to find her. Like, what the hell, you know? And then it's just really strange because, like, there's just nothing. And then there's just nothing at the house. So then we arrive on January 10th. And this is such an important day because this is the day that Jamie is found. So Jeannie Nutter, she's a retired social worker and she had done that for about like 30 years, you know, things like that. So she's a little bit older. She's out walking her dog and she sees this girl coming towards her and she knows something is wrong because Jamie was in leggings and a hoodie and it's only 19 degrees out. So obviously she should have had a coat, things like that. And then she had these oversized shoes on that originally until she got closer, she thought they were just like slippers or something, Mm -hmm. but they turned out to be male shoes. And then poor girl, they were actually on the wrong feet. Anyways, so once they kind of spot each other, Jamie runs up to her and tells her that she needs help. She tells her her name and she's like, I don't know where I am. And, you know, Jeannie's like just goes into like work mode basically. And she's like, I knew I had to stay calm on the outside. She's like inside. I was freaking the fuck out because obviously I know who this is. Right. And help get her to safety. She's like letting her know that she's okay. She's going to be safe. And then she says she's in Gordon, Wisconsin. And that's not really too far from where she's from. I believe it's like under 200 miles. Okay. I meant to check the exact mileage, but sorry, guys. You know, and that everything's going to be okay. And then she's like, where did you come from? Like trying to get a little bit of details without asking too much, you know. And she lets Jeannie know like the cabin she came from and describes it and like what area and stuff. Interestingly enough, this cabin is Jeannie's neighbor. Oh, yeah. She says later, because I've watched a couple interviews with her, that this person's cabin is basically their property lines line up like her backyard lines up with their property line. Ah, she knew exactly where she came from. Got it. She knew it probably wasn't a good idea to go back to her house because she's like, what if he's still there? What if he comes looking? What if he like comes thrashing through my house? You know, that kind of shit. Right. So they end up going to one of their other neighbor's house instead. And when they get there, she's like, we need to come in. I have Jamie with me. Like, we need to call 911 right now. And as soon as they saw her, they're like, oh, my God. Like, you know, because her pictures were everywhere. She was all over the news, all that. Mm -hmm. Jamie also tells Jeannie that he killed my parents and I just want to go home. That's so fucking sad to hear because she's 13. She's not an adult. Like, it's bad to happen to an adult, too, this kind of thing. But it's like she's Mm -hmm. in middle school. Like, what is that, like seventh grade? Yeah. So they have the full 911 call 
on YouTube and it's in the sources. I listened to it. It's only like eight minutes long. And during this time, it just really shows how smart and resourceful Jamie is because Jeannie is relaying all the details that Jamie's told her since they got there, you know, and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like I said, she knew exactly where she came from. She gives her kidnapper's full name, his description, what kind of car he has, and the fact that he had other cars at the residence and like, you know, details about that and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So even with that panic and fear and just like to get the fuck out when she's getting out, she knew she had to pay attention. Like not everybody can do that. Right. Well, I mean, she's also been there for three months. So who knows? Like, she obviously was planning to escape the whole time. So Mm -hmm. so the person who kidnapped Jamie and killed her parents was 21 year old Jake Thomas Patterson. Once police arrived and got Jamie on her way to the hospital to go, you know, get examined and all of that, they immediately went out to look for Jake. And it only took them nine minutes to find him. Oh, wow. And once they did, they pulled him over and arrested him. It was so fast. This area he's in as well, this town, is super, super tiny too. But like from my understanding, because I watched, it might have been like 48 Hours or CBS, one of those kind of things. The family kind of sound like they kept to themselves a bit. So most people didn't really know who he was or anything kind of thing. Makes sense. Yeah. And then like a lot of people had cabins there where they went during the summer, like Jeannie for I don't know why she was there, but thank God. But normal on the 911 call, she says like, I have a cabin here. She's like, normally, I'm only here in the summertime. So I can't give you much details, but I'm here right now, obviously. And so it sounds like maybe people go there in the summertime too and stuff. But him and his family live there year round. Got it. So before I go further into like what happened and stuff, I kind of want to unpack stuff a bit just because immediately everyone's like got tons and tons of questions, of course, being like, what exactly happened that night? Mm -hmm. Like what caused this kid to do this? What the hell? Because Jake literally had no red flags. He had no criminal record, no nothing. You know, he wasn't any signs of him to have done this. And he had no ties to the Kloss family at all. No social media touches, no nothing. Oh, wow. So Jamie gives her account to the police, of course, of what happened that night. So I'm going to go over that first. And then I'll kind of go over Jake's. She said that she heard the family dog barking that night around 1220 a.m. And then she saw a man walking up the driveway. So immediately she went to her parents' room to tell them, hey, somebody's walking up our driveway at fucking midnight. And her dad goes and looks out their front door area, which essentially, if you look up pictures of their house, it's all window. It's like all glass. So pretty much no protection. And he sees a person coming up with a gun. So he tells Jamie and Denise, you know, go in the bathroom, barricade it and stay there until he says things are okay. It is confirmed in Jamie's account that, you know, like I said earlier, Denise called 911 from the bathroom. The two of them end up hearing the two gunshots which one would be at James, Jamie's dad, and then the other at the front door. After this, Jake comes in and breaks into the bathroom. Initially, he instructs Denise to tape Jamie's mouth with like electrical tape. She ends up struggling because she's obviously terrified. So he takes it from her and then tapes Jamie himself. And it's not just across her mouth. It's like he wrapped it around her head type of situation. Oh, God. Yeah. And then he also tapes her ankles and hands together. After this, he takes Denise out of the bathroom and shoots her. So now both of her parents are dead. And then after this, he tries to tell Jamie to walk with him to his car, but then remembers, oh, yeah, I taped her ankles. She can't walk. So he drags her through the house, past her parents' bodies, and out the door. 
Mm. Yeah. And she said that it, the car ride to his cabin felt like it took hours. I'm sure it would. And once they get to Jake's cabin, he takes her into a bedroom and instructs her to undress so he could take her clothes because he didn't want to have any evidence lying around. She also mentions that any time he left the house during her captivity, that she would be put under the bed and told to stay there. And then he would place things all around the bed and then put weights around the bed too so that way if she got out he would know so basically like she could obviously put the first stuff back but the heavy weights she wouldn't be able to get exactly back kind of thing and then he would also add like blankets and such to act as like soundproofing her in in case she moved or coughed because the other fucked up thing is like while he had her he would still have like family and friends and stuff come to the house and they had no fucking clue Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Because he kept her in like this basement cellar type of bedroom situation. And then she would just, you know, she'd be left there for hours without food, water or being able to go to the bathroom, anything like he would just leave her there. And what's sad, too, is like on Christmas Day, she was left like that for 12 hours. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. And if she were to disobey him or anything like that, he would just threaten her and just say that bad things would happen. That's really all she ever said about it. Of course, she's also a kid. So it's like, we don't know the exact details on that. And then she said there was one time where she accidentally moved something when she was under the bed and he like hit her back or something like the one time. And then he was just like, don't ever do it again. Or, you know, this is what happens and bad things will happen, that kind of thing. So after that, she like took extra care to comply and all that shit. Mm -hmm. With that, we do also have Jake's statement on what happened that night because this is, of course, you know, times past now. He said uh, when he was approaching the home, he saw James looking out and then he tried to tell him to get down. And of course, James is not going to fucking listen to you. So I'm assuming that James thought the guy was a cop or pretending to be a cop because Jake said that James yelled like, show me your badge or something like that. And then at this point, he pretty much makes the decision that if he's going to get inside, he needs to use force because he ends up saying he won't let anything stop him from taking Jamie. So yeah, he's there not to kill the parents. And it's not random. He is there to get Jamie. And I'll get to that in a second. He shot through the glass, which hit James in his head and neck, which of course, you know, killed him. From there, pretty much the rest of the details with Denise and everything matches what Jamie had said. But he had stated that the drive from Jamie's house to his cabin was about 40-ish minutes, so less than an hour. But like I said, you know, Jamie's terrified, so of course it's going to feel like forever because you don't know what the fuck's going to happen. And he did ask for her clothing, and then he says he gave her some of his sister's pajamas, so she had something to wear. And then he said he took her clothes and then the clothes he had been wearing that night, which was like all black clothing and like a ski mask and things like that, and burned them in his fireplace in his house to get rid of evidence. So like I said, he had no connection with this family. He didn't even know their names. It wasn't until after he killed them and he saw the coverage on the TV that he found out who they actually were. And then he told authorities that he had came across Jamie when he was driving one day and he saw her either getting on or getting off the school bus. And he knew that was the girl he wanted to take. And it gets creepier. So October 15th, the night of the murders and her actual kidnapping, was not his first attempt at kidnapping her. In total, he tried to kidnap her three times. Holy shit. Yeah. 
So obviously there was like a stalking situation and all of that because he he found out where she lived. And he said the first time he went over to her house, they must have been like having a party or something. They had company over. He said there was too many cars. There was too many people. So it wasn't worth the risk. Like he knew he wouldn't be able to get away with it. So he left. And then he went back a second time and it was late at night. It was about 1 a.m. But he saw that like the living room lights were on and stuff like that. And there was movement going on in the house. And he knew this would be too risky because if they were awake and alert and stuff, it would probably draw attention and his best bet to get Jamie was when they were all asleep. Makes sense. I mean, that's logical. That's not what I want to say, but I mean, it makes the most sense. Yeah, like that's terrible to say, but you get it. Yeah. Right. Also, in his preparations for the murder, he had stole the shotgun from his dad. He made a bunch of modifications to the trunk of his car so that Jamie couldn't get out. And then he also just switched his cab lights to off so that way when he was getting in and out of the car, he wouldn't be seen and he wouldn't be able to be identified in case anybody saw him, that type of thing. And then he also cut all of his hair and made sure he shaved and everything because he didn't want any of his hair follicles to drop anywhere to leave any evidence. Okay. So like, obviously, dude watches forensic files. (laughs) something. And then as far as Jamie's time in captivity, according to Jake, he confirms the under the bed thing and then also says that when it was just them, she was allowed to roam the rest of the house. Like, you know, when nobody else was there, she could go into other rooms, things like that. And that they would just spend their time watching TV, play board games, and they would cook food. They would just hang out, basically, is what he's saying. It's just weird. I'm so confused. Like, does he think that's going to like, yeah, we like nothing bad really happened to her. I mean, I made her some pasta. We played some Jenga. Yeah, he was like, all of our food was homemade. I don't I don't think that's the problem. Like nobody's saying you're not taking care of the kid you kidnapped. It's the fact that you fucking kidnapped a kid. Like that's the big problem. Right. So January 10th was a day he had went out. So I guess that's when Jamie just decided, you know what? He's supposed to be gone until midnight or so. This is my time to fucking run. Oh, so he like made the mistake of telling her how long he would be gone. Mm -hmm. And then honestly, running into Jeannie couldn't have been more best case scenario ever because imagine if he was like driving and then he saw her and then snatched her back up and did God knows what. Right. Like every horror movie has ever told us would happen. Right. So to kind of circle back to that, like I said, Jamie was taken to the hospital and she was admitted under guard because, you know, I'm sure they did not expect to find him in under 10 minutes. Oh, I'm sure they did. Yeah. And then the next morning she was released to the custody of her aunt, Jennifer Smith, and that's who she lives with now. And all of these details about like what they did and things like that came out that following March of 2019. He had written a letter to a reporter and then he said that he was like apologetic for his crimes and that everything was mostly on impulse, which it's like you planned out all these things. I don't think that's really impulsive, but okay. And he said he was going to plead guilty at his trial because he wanted to spare Jamie and her family from having to deal with the trauma of the trial. You know, Jake, what would have prevented this trauma? You just don't kill her parents and kidnap her. Yep. And then this past May, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, times two for each murder. Oh, good. Yes. 
And then he also got the maximum sentence for kidnapping Jamie, which is an additional 40 years. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Good for you, Wisconsin, with your 40 years. Unlike, what is it, North Carolina, which is only 30. Right. So, yeah, he's not getting out. Uh, And then this past January, there was a like an update article done on her by people. Mm -hmm. Basically, for what she's went through, she's thriving. So that makes me really, really happy to hear. That's good. She put out... A little statement and it said, I really want to thank everyone for all the kindness and concern that people all over the country have shown me. I'm very happy to be home and getting back to activities that I enjoy. I love hanging out with all my friends and I feel stronger every day. So that makes me really happy. And her family said that she had a really busy summer. She had a good summer. She hung out with her aunts and her friends and they went hiking and they went to like the state parks and, you know, spent it outdoors, things like that. And just spent time with family. And then, of course, her birthday is in the summer. So they celebrated her birthday and that she stayed very social. So that's, you know, that's a good thing. And she's just working on getting back into a routine and things like that. And they're, of course, you know, making sure to take care of her emotionally and stuff as well. Because I'm sure that means, you know, they put her in therapy, which good. You should. That would be like the worst thing if someone went through this and then the guardian was like, man, I think she could just power through it. It's fine. Right. So it just it made me really happy that she seems to be doing well. Mm -hmm. I know Elizabeth Smart reached out to her too and other victims and stuff just for support and things like that. So I think that's great. Like I said, I kind of just I know some people might already know this case and stuff like that. And it's not really anything in the news or anything. But it is one that even with you know, the tragedy of her losing her parents, she was able to come home and be alive. And I just feel like we needed one of these cases in our feed. Yeah, there's so many cases that end with like, I mean, lately, it's been so bad. Yeah. And I don't know if it's like the news has just figured out that we like this kind of stuff as, you know, human populace or the American populace and and is like, here, here's all this shit that's happening. And yeah. so many times lately, it's been ending with like a child who's passed. Mm-hmm. And I really hope that Jamie like can heal from this. And it sounds like she's doing well, but that's also on the outside. We don't know on the inside. Right. It kind of like when the kid, when the child is like discovered, like even though the parents are deceased, you know that it's like they're probably at peace now because Jamie is like is safe because Jamie's been discovered. Yeah. And is living with a relative and is thriving. Yep, definitely. And that freaks me out because like my niece and nephew are twins and they're 13. Yeah. Like thinking about if it was them kind of thing. Yeah, I get you. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because you have to think about it like the fact that. It puts it into like a real perspective of what like a 13 year old is, Mm -hmm. especially because it sounds like very like same, same, like my niece is a 13 year old in a rural area, you know, and here's this little 13 year old in a rural area. That's just I'm so happy this young girl could come home and and have a chance to grow up. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, that is going to wrap us up today for this week's Stabby. We hope you guys have a great rest of your day. And make sure to check the feedback tomorrow. We will be having part two on the Aaron Hernandez documentary. Uh, If you haven't listened to part one yet, go back and listen to that before that drops tomorrow morning. And we will see you then. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.